Hi friends, this is Will Dyer, the pastor here at the First Baptist Church of Augusta. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the message that you are about to hear will give you some joy in your day. But more than that, I hope that this message will connect you to Jesus. The mission of our church is to connect people to Jesus Christ in a community of faith. And it is my greatest hope that the message you are about to hear will better connect you with Jesus and His way in the world. Good morning, friends. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and in just a moment, we are going to read verses 13 through 20. I want to remind you before we do that we are now in week three of our new series, The Master Class of Jesus, where we are taking a deep dive into the Sermon on the Mount. And as I mentioned last week, each Sunday is going to build on what you have heard last week. And so if you have missed anything at all, I want to invite you to go to our website, discoverfbc.org, or download our podcast and catch up on what you might have missed, because each week will build on the next. And with that in mind, I want us now to turn our attention to these words of Jesus to us here on this day. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20, and I'll begin reading. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear... Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Sarah, my wife and I were talking earlier this week, and we were talking about where there seems to be in our world, Christian world and also secular world, there is an increasing disconnect between Scripture, between the story of God and God's people, and human beings. 
right? Yeah, I would expect that to be true in secular culture. But what really kind of got Sarah and I thinking more about this is that it seems as though that for increasing numbers of churches, the stories, the sermons that we preach and, the, and the, uh, uh, the, the things we do on Sunday morning increasingly are disconnected from Scripture. So sermon topics and series based around life events, which isn't a bad thing. But to me, it is concerning because the disconnect between Scripture and humanity is ultimately a disconnect of narrative. Because the story of Scripture, that's what Scripture is. It's a story about God and God's people. And we, as human beings, are called to find our place within that story. It is a drama in which we are actors. And so we, as followers of Jesus in particular, are called to read this story and to learn the narrative and find our place within it. And as we talked about why this disconnect has happened and why sermon series tend to be preached on topics like money and sex instead of on things like the Sermon on the Mount or the book of Ephesians or whatever, what, what Sarah said, and I actually think she's right, is that for so many people, the Bible has been taken out of context. For so many people, they don't understand what Scripture is and what is happening within these stories. The Scripture... The narrative has, has lost its context. And for so many people, the Bible has simply become a, a book which we go to where we cherry pick things that make us feel better, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know the plans for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you. And we can go on and on. And on, But the Bible, for so many people, removed from its context, has simply become a, a source of how I can feel good about myself. And the fact of the matter is, friends, when we read things like the Sermon on the Mount, or when we really want to understand who Jesus is and why Jesus matters, then we have to get context. We have to understand who this was written to, who was present in the story at its genesis, and that, friends, ultimately matters. And so we have a crisis of context. And it is particularly important when we enter into stories like this one today, when we enter into to sayings of Jesus like this in the Sermon on the Mount, that we understand the context. Because if we don't, and ultimately, this one unified sermon, this thing where one section builds upon the next, will ultimately become dis, uh, dismembered and, and fragmented, and it will simply be one collection of like little fortune cookies that we can take. And so context really, really matters. And in this section of the Sermon on the Mount in particular, which is a little bit fuzzy and hairy, we need to set the context. And so the first question that I want us to pursue this morning is this. Who is Jesus talking about when he says, you? Who is Jesus talking about when he says, you are the salt of the earth? You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. That is an essential question for us to ask first and foremost. So who is Jesus referring to 
when he says the phrase, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. If we can answer that question well, then it will set the stage for the power, the transformative power of this section of the Sermon on the Mount. And in order to answer that question, we need to keep a few things in mind contextually. Jesus is Jewish. Jesus is, in fact, Jewish. He is not that blonde-haired, blue-eyed Warner Solomon portrait that many of you grew up with and that almost all of us have seen. No, that is not who Jesus is. Jesus is Jewish. And in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, when he goes up on the hillside and he sits down in the position of a rabbi, an authoritative teacher, in that context, he is talking to, just on the backside of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is talking to you being Jews. Jesus is talking to a number of Jewish men and women, and in particular, the you Jesus is referencing. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. When Jesus says you, he is talking to Jews, but in particular, who Jesus is talking to, and this is so incredibly important for us to understand, is that if we were here last week, he is saying to the ordinary Jew, to the non-religious Jew, to the one who has been stepped on and beat up and looked over, to the losers and the have-nots of Jewish society, he is saying to them, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And it is so incredibly important for us to understand that. Because when we get who Jesus is talking to, the next thing we will understand is that for those Jews, they will have heard that phrase and that terminology throughout the course of their lives. What Jesus was doing in this section of the Sermon on the Mount is he was talking to, to Jews and reminding them of their calling from God. He was reminding them of the intent that God had for Israel from its earliest beginnings. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill, and you will be a blessing for all the world. Israel understood that that was their calling, and Jesus was reminding those Jews of that very fact. When you go back into the book of Genesis, in the very earliest phases of God's story, there's this man named Abraham. You, you know him, right? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord, right? Abraham was this man who was living in Ur of the Chaldees, and God comes to him and he says, Abraham, I want you to leave your home and I want you to go to this place where I'm going to send you. Can't tell you where it is yet, but it's going to be good and it's going to be right. And in Genesis chapter 12, there is this incredible section where God calls Abram, Abraham later out from his homeland. And he says to Abraham, I want you to look at the stars of the sky, and your people are going to be as numerous as that. And the other thing, Abraham, I want you to know is that through you and your people, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That the calling of Israel from its earliest beginnings is to be a blessing. Jesus, in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, is reminding the people, you are called to be the salt, to 
preserve the goodness of God's world, to give it flavor and wonder. You are called to be the blessing. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The prophet Isaiah, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, in his book he is writing to Jews who had been in exile. They had been taken out of Israel and put under the yoke of Babylon for centuries. And now in Isaiah chapter 40, he's writing this incredible letter to the Jews who are now finally, thank God, leaving Babylon. They're coming back home to Israel and they are going to be home and rebuild the homeland. And Isaiah wants to to remind them. More importantly, God wants to remind them of that original calling given to Abraham and now still given to Israel. And there's this beautiful section in Isaiah chapter 41 where the prophet has this to say, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand and I will keep you and you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles to open the eyes that are blind. The prophet is reminding Israel as they make their way back home after centuries in exile that they are to be the light. Jesus says you are a city on a hill. Geographically, if you go to Israel, what you will see is at the very top of the, uh, of the country is this city, Jerusalem, the capital. And God intended from its earliest beginnings that Jerusalem would be a place that radiated hope and joy and light and love. You are a city on a hill and your light is to shine. And so Jesus, in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, it is so incredibly important for us to understand contextually that he is reminding Israel of their calling. This is who you are intended to be and the way you are going to be the salt, the way you were intended to be the light, the way you were going to be the city on the hill was because God had given you, and this is the next step, God has given you the Torah. These first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, God has given you Torah. God has given you the prophetic writings, and the intent was that this would be a guide for you, Israel, so that you could bless the nation, so that you could be an alternative people, so that you could be the salt and you could be the light. When God gave the Torah to Moses on the mountain and brought it down to the people. See, this is where, again, contextually, we fundamentally misunderstand. We, as 21st century Westerners, we think of the law, the Torah, as this list of things that had to be done in order to make God happy, in order to keep God from being angry. And that, friends, is never what Torah was intended to be, that Jesus understands. And y'all, this is important because it helps us make sense of that second, second section where Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the Torah. I came to fulfill it. I came to show its true intent. 
I came to help you live in to what it always was supposed to be. And Torah was intended by God to be guidelines, to be principles, to be a teaching which the people of Israel could follow and learn from and take in to their heart. And it would allow them to be an alternative community. It would allow them to be a people of hope in a world of, uh, 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 of vengeance. It would allow them to be a people of love in a world full of hate. And God gave the Torah so that Israel could be the salt and that Israel could be the light. But something happened along the way, and again, having to put this in the context, Jesus says that you have forgotten your calling. You've forgotten what the Torah was intended to do and how you were to use it. And in particular, Jesus says that the scribes and the Pharisees, see that righteousness that Jesus mentions about them? What they had done with the Torah in the time of Jesus, these religious leaders, they had taken what was intended to be the blessing. It was intended to be the guide for us, Israel, as we show the world just how good God is. The scribes and the Pharisees had taken the Torah and they had turned it from a blessing into a system of exclusion. They had created boundary lines around the Torah. And instead of it being a thing that helped Israel bless the world, what had happened because of the scribes and the Pharisees is that Torah had become a marker of exclusion. If you follow Torah, then that means you are a Jew. And if you don't, then you are not. If you follow Torah, then you are righteous. And if you don't, then you are not. And instead Instead of being a blessing, the reality is that this good gift of God had become a thing to set up a ladder and a scale of who is righteous and who is not, who is in and who is out. And Israel had lost its way. And Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the Torah, but I came to fulfill its pure intent. And the scribes and the Pharisees and their righteousness, well, friends, they have gotten it all wrong. But the second thing you need to know about the Torah, this good gift of God, how it was intended to, to allow Israel to be a blessing the paradox of this, uh, this Torah is that what it also did was it showed the people of Israel that they too were broken because they tried as hard as they could, no matter how hard they tried. The fact of the matter is they couldn't keep the Torah. No matter how much effort they put into it, they couldn't live up to the standard and the Torah intended to be the guide for how we bless the world simply had just reminded people of how short they had fallen of the glory of God. There's this Pharisee, a guy named Paul. He ultimately becomes a follower of Jesus. And in one of his letters, he talks about this very thing where he said, look, I've got this law and I know the thing I should do. And yet I find myself doing the exact opposite. 
And in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying to the people of Israel, look, you are called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And God gave you this Torah that was intended to be a blessing. And the problem is that it had become through the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, but just as importantly, through your own brokenness and sinfulness, it has become a curse. And you are not able to be and live into the fullness of who God intended and created you to be. And if I stopped right there, friends, this is not good news. But the beauty of this Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus continues on. And the curse became a blessing. Because Jesus says, remember, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. But I came to fulfill it. I came to be the one who was everything that it was intended to be, who lived out this perfect plan of God. And he says to these Jews sitting, listening to the Sermon on the Mount, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. And listen to me, it doesn't have anything to do with Torah any longer. But now Jesus says it has everything to do with me. You are able to be the salt, and you are able to be the light, because Jesus declares in this revolutionary moment in the Sermon on the Mount that he has fulfilled the intent. He has lived into the fullness of who God has created us to be. He is the salt, and he is the light. He is the city on the hill. There's this incredible quote from one, an author that I just genuinely love. I want you to read it now because it sums up the whole of this passage. And Jesus, according to this author, Tom Wright, has this to say, that Jesus was the salt of the earth. Jesus is the light of the world, set up on a hilltop crucified for all the world to see, becoming a beacon of hope and new life for everyone, drawing people to worship the Father, embodying the way of self-giving love, which is the deepest fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Jesus is the salt of the earth. Jesus is the city on the hill. He is the light when he is crucified on Golgotha, showing us the self-giving love of God that he loved us so much he gave his son. Jesus, in this revolutionary moment, is reminding Israel of their calling, but putting it in a new perspective, reminding the people that that blessing, that call to go out and be this goodness in the world, it no longer comes through Torah. It no longer comes through the religious restrictions of the scribes and the Pharisees, but now it has come to its full intent in and through Jesus Christ. 
And now, my friends, is where the story begins to take on so much more power and beauty. Now is the moment where I have to remind us that in context, Jesus is speaking to those Jews listening to the Sermon on the Mount, but because Jesus is in fact not only the master teacher, but he is also God, he knew full well that he was talking to all of us who would call him Lord. He was talking to all of us who would call him the Savior. And what he is saying in this section of the Sermon on the Mount is not just to Jews, but it is in fact to all of us who say we follow Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And listen to me, friends, this is so incredibly important for us to understand. We can be the salt of the earth. We can be the light of the world because he has done it first. We can bless the world because he has blessed us first. There are those beautiful sections in John where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. But Jesus says, I am the light. And because he is the light that has shone in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, then friends, we can be the light as well. We can be the light because he was and is the light first. I don't think we stop often enough and wrestle with the implications of this saying from the Sermon on the Mount. When I begin to think about Jesus' call on our lives to be salt, to be light, to be the city that shines out and blesses the world so that people might see just how good God is, my first and initial reaction is how are we going to do that? And we have to remind us that we don't do it of our own strength. We don't do it by our own volition. We don't do it by our own ability, but we do it through his grace and we do it through his spirit. This incredible section in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, he's writing to encourage this group of Christians who were struggling with what it meant to follow him well. And at the very beginning of his letter in, in Ephesians chapter 1, Verses 17 through 19, there's this incredible moment where Paul is reminding these early Christians, and I think reminding us of who we are called to be, and he has this to say, that I want you to remember, my prayer, he says, is that you would remember that the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead, the same power of God that resurrected Jesus from the dead is the same exact power that is at work in you and through you. The power of God that defeated death. The power of God that triumphed over evil is the very same power that is at work in me and in you. And because he 
is the salt and the light. We can be the salt and the light. You guys remember Hank Williams Sr., old country singer? I used to, I remember driving with my dad in his truck when I was a kid and listening to Hank and Merle and Willie and Waylon and all these songs and, and all these old country singers. And one of my dad's favorites, I think maybe his favorite, was in fact Hank Williams. And one song in particular, well, maybe two, Kalijah was one of them. But the other song my dad used to listen to all the time was this Hank song, I Saw the Light. I saw the light. You, you might know it. You might not. Uh, I was a stranger, so deep in my sin, I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. But then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. And Hank Williams says in this incredible song, praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light. I saw the light. No more in darkness, no more in night. Now I'm so happy, no trouble in sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. And I think I know every word to that song. And it's a beautiful song, but the fact of the matter is, when you look at Hank Williams Sr. and his life, you, you hear this incredible tune about a guy who saw the light, but then you look at his life, and what do you see but just destruction and, and, and mayhem. You see a guy who ultimately died of a drug overdose. And I cannot help but sit and think about riding in my dad's car listening to Hank Williams Sr. talk about how he saw the light. And it's a beautiful thing that he saw the light. But what I want to suggest to you this morning is that Hank maybe stopped just a little bit too soon. That Hank saw the light, but he didn't listen to the light and the teaching of the light. Because if he had, he would have understood that it is one thing to see the light. It is a beautiful thing to see the light. But the fact of the matter is the call of Jesus Christ on our lives is not just to see the light, but it is to be the light. And when I listen to that song, I cannot help but think about so many followers of Jesus Christ who wander around in their lives, in the course of their lives, and friends, they just don't get it. They believe that the fullness of the Christian story is simply to see the light and it saves their soul and they can go to heaven when they die and all can be well and they've forgotten about this sermon on the mount. They've forgotten about this call of Jesus Christ, not just to see the light, but to be the light to be a transformative force for good in the city, to be a people through whom the world is blessed, that we are called by Jesus Christ to be people who have experienced the power of his resurrection in our lives, and now we go out into the world and we show just how good 
God is. We go out into the world, and because of how we live and how we act and how we live, people will give thanks to God in heaven, and they will come to know Jesus Christ. Hank Williams, you see the light, but the call is to be the light. And friends, listen to me right now. In 2021, when this world, quite frankly, seems like it's going to hell in a handbasket, when there is brokenness absolutely all around us, there is no better time for us to get out of our comfort zone. I am sick and tired of followers of Jesus Christ, not here at the First Baptist Church of Augusta, but the capital C Church. I am so tired of us thinking about ourselves of us essentially becoming the Pharisees and this way of Jesus becomes a badge of exclusion when instead it is intended to be a blessing. And it is high time for us to remember that we don't just see the light. We get to be the light. And in the brokenness of this world, where there is division like we have never seen, and there is anger like many of us have never known before. We get to shine our light into the darkness of this world, and people will come to know Jesus because of us. Don't just see the light. Those of you who are watching online and on television right now, I want to invite you to be the light. And that really begins with one question, and it's how I really want to draw this thing to a close today. I want to ask you really a simple question. Where is it in the city of Augusta that needs salt? It needs some good because things tend to be going really bad right now? Where is it in your city, whether you're in Virginia or South Carolina, you're watching on television in Edgefield County, where is it that you can be the light of Jesus Christ? Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's in your book club. Where is it that you can bring a little bit of blessing and you can let your light shine? Because listen to me, friends, what Jesus is trying to teach the Jews of his day, and ultimately what Jesus opens up to all of us who call on his name, is that because he is the light, we now get to be the light too. We have seen the light, so let's go out loving this world, serving this world, proclaiming the goodness of God in this world. We have seen the light, so let's go out and be the light of the world. Let's take a few moments now. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for this morning, for the opportunity to, to come and continue to celebrate you and your goodness. So God, Today, someone is watching online. I gather uh, someone is watching on television. And Lord, right now, they would say, I, I, I see the light. 
I see you, Jesus, but God, today work in their heart and their soul and tell them that, yes, you can see, but now is the time to be. Lord, may we be the light through the power of your resurrection, through the power of your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, God, may we be the light of the world. Our prayer is that people would glorify you because of who we are. Lord, break our hearts for the cause of the gospel and help us to go out and be that city on a hill. Lord, we are grateful for your son, Jesus, and all he is doing in our lives. Would you continue to be with us as we worship you this morning? This is our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.